Our passage this morning is it's like the definition of the gospel message. It's one of the most popular passages in all of Paul's writings, and you know, it's, it's kind of hard not to see why. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, it can, it can be broken down into three parts. There's verses 1 to 3, which give us a very clear, like no-holds-barred view of God's thoughts, of our reality without him. God, speaking through Paul, does not pull any punches. He, he gives it to us straight. He makes our faults, our needs, our sinfulness, our unworthiness very clear. And then in verses 4 to 7, we see how God has acted to redeem us. We see God's great love for us. We see this love expressed through the sacrifice and redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. And in verses 8 to 10, we see the role that we play. We see what our participation is in this salvation story. This passage is such wonderful good news for all of us. And I pray that God's word would speak to each of us as we study it together this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Let's read the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even When we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. And I pray that you would speak through it today. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Praise in your name. Amen. An old preacher was dying. He's in a message for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. And as they entered the room, the the preacher held out his hands and motioned for them to sit on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, smiled, and stared at the ceiling for a time No one said anything. Both the banker and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments. They were also a little puzzled. The preacher had never given them any indication that he particularly liked either of them. They both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed, covetousness, and avaricious behavior that made them squirm in their seats. Finally, the banker said, Preacher, why why did you ask us to come? The old preacher mustered up his strength and, and then said weakly, 
Jesus died between two thieves, and that's how I want to go. <laughs> Death. It's not a cheery topic, right? Like it's, so it, instead of talking about it, so sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's, it's more preferable to tell jokes about it. Try and enlighten the mood, to downplay it, to make it seem not as big a deal by reducing it to humor or, you know, at least maybe trying to reduce it to humor. Death isn't something that excites us. It's not something that we really even want to hear about. That's probably because we know that we can't escape it. The words that are believed to have belonged to William Wallace, the famed Scottish independence fighter, resonate within us. Every man dies. The inevitability of death is what stands out the most. We can't escape it. There have been countless stories told and quite a few movies made depicting escapes from death. People desperately trying to avoid their date with the Grim Reaper. And no matter how many times bands like the Blue Oyster Cult proclaim that love can conquer death and then also you know, try to romanticize dying together by proclaiming, baby, don't fear the Reaper. We still fear the Reaper. We don't want to die. We want to push that final journey out as, as far as we can. Because there's no coming back from that. The finality of death is something it's hard to, to wrap our minds around. It's overwhelming. It's, it's kind of scary. So how does that make us feel about Paul's opening statement here in chapter 2 of Ephesians? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. He's not saying some of you. He's not saying a few of you. He's saying you were dead. And the way he says it encompasses all people. All you are hearing it. All who are reading. You are all dead. Paul tells us that we were dead. This thing that, that we're scared of, that we want to like avoid it at all costs, that we don't even like necessarily joking about, is something that we already experienced or are experiencing. Paul is not talking about physical death, but spiritual death. He's telling us that because of our sin, we are or were spiritually dead. Paul writes of, of three tyrants that, that hold the sinner captive, and the first tyrant is the course of the world. This means the cultural worldview of our sinful race. You know, some of us are living under a worldview that crushes us with guilt, with condemnation under God's law, and it impresses upon us our need to qualify for heaven, to earn our reward in heaven. Some of us live under a worldview that focuses on personal autonomy, claiming that, that we can choose our own spiritual outlook. And worship what we like, when we like, how, how we like. 
Why do we need a God that tells us what to do? The course of the world, the ways of the world can ensnare us. They influence us. It's not only teenagers who are driven by peer pressure. We all are. And it can at times, when we're being pushed by these pressures, these courses, these ways of the world, it can at times be hard to identify them. In response to this, David Wells helpfully writes, You can recognize the ways of the world wherever sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. How true is that? You can recognize the ways of the world wherever sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. When what we know is wrong seems right, and what we know what God is calling us to, what God desires of us seems strange or weird or different, then we are succumbing to the ways of the world, the course of the world, the twisted culture of man. The second tyrant that Paul mentions is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is not weak and he is not yet defeated. He is not yet in his forever home, the lake of fire. He is currently here and he is working on all of us, not not possessing us. Don't hear it that way, but working on us for he is the deceiver. He whispers into our hearts and minds the doubts he so wants us to believe. He tempts us with lies designed to cause us to doubt the existence of God's word, the truth of God's word and the motives behind God's word, just as he did in the Garden of Eden back at the beginning of the world. So he continues to do today. Does God really say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat that fruit? Does the Bible really say this? Like, is this really what it means? And the final tyrant that is working to hold us captive that Paul mentions is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here he is talking about the cravings of the flesh, the desires of the old nature. These cravings include our desperate appetites for selfish luxury, pornography, or self-glorification. Another way of looking at this would be what are commonly known as the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and slothfulness. Each of these we do because we are putting ourselves first. We're giving in to the cravings of that old nature, our old nature. Paul is speaking hard truths about sin and spiritual death. And I mean, these words cut me. They expose my sin and my shame. There isn't a tyrant that I have not been affected by, have not been tempted by at some point in my life. And I am unable to defeat them, to free myself from them on my own. Richard Koken put it this way. These verses reveal the humbling truth that I am not naturally a good person. Apart from God, so without him in my life, I am spiritually dead. Enslaved to worldly cultures, Satan's influence and fleshly desires. 
and should now be facing an eternity of suffering in hell. We desperately need a Savior. We are dead by nature. So Paul lists these tyrants, these traps, these shortcomings that trap us, that that we are dead because of. And the conclusion that Paul makes is that because of the power these tyrants have over us, because of our spiritual death, we are children of wrath. Stuck. Trapped. Dead. Unable to do anything to save ourselves. Children of wrath. Paul brings us face to face with our failings and our fallenness. But he does not leave us there. He continues in verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are brought to life. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been made alive. When we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that there he paid the price for sin, but that he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and that because of him, because of faith in these works and the truth of God's word, then we have been reconciled with the Father. We are no longer children of wrath, for make no mistake, it is His wrath, God's wrath, that we are under. So often when we think of what Jesus saves us from, we come up with this list of things like sin, or the devil, or the world, ourselves, you know, the tyrants that we were just talking about. The reality is that Jesus saves us from God. That because of our giving in to the tyrants, because of the sin that we were trapped in, God's wrath would be poured out on us. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he cannot be in the presence of sin. And sin was so very much a part of us. To find us. We were dead in it. But as we just read in verse 4 of our passage this morning, because of the richness the depth of God's love for us. He sent his perfect son, and instead of pouring his wrath out on us, he poured it out on Jesus. Jesus took the full brunt of the fury of God, and he did it in our place because he loves us. Faith in Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. This is God's answer for our sin. He does something that we cannot do, that we do not have the ability to do. He brings us back to life by giving this life of his son for us. And so we are joined with Christ. As Paul writes in our verses this morning, we have been made alive together with Christ. When Christ came back from the dead, he brought us back from the dead. When he rose that Easter morning, we rose with him. We no longer need to live in spiritual death, for God has made us alive in Christ. What a testimony 
each one of us who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, who believe in his finished work on the cross. What a testimony each of us have. We were dead. Dead. And now we are alive. Maybe, like like me, you grew up in a Christian home and you were baptized as an infant, and so you don't have conscious memory of a time when you were spiritually dead. And you look at your neighbor, your friend, who, who lived a life of reckless abandon before receiving faith, and you think that, you know, your testimony is not as good, is not as powerful as theirs. You guys, dead is dead. It doesn't matter if you have been dead for an hour or dead for 10,000 years. There's the same amount of hope that you will be coming back. None. And so the amount of time that we have been dead doesn't lessen the greatness of the power of God in bringing us back to life. Each of us has a testimony that is mind-blowing. For each of us was dead and God has made us alive. As we move to the final verses of our passage this morning, verses 8 to 10, know that they are a blessing to the soul and an encouragement to each and every one of us. And may they speak to your heart this morning and set you on fire for mission. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We didn't earn it. We were given it. This life in Christ, this resurrection from the dead, is gift. It's gift. We don't have any room to boast. It's not because we were worthy. It's not because we were more pitiful. It's not because of our strength or our money or our passion or our talents or our beauty. There is nothing that we have done to merit to be worthy of this gift that God has given us. We are saved solely Because of God's mercy and grace. Because of his love. What a wonderful message for each of us. What a blessing for each of us. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. And know that he wants to give this gift to others. To your family, your friends, your neighbors that do not believe. For he has works that God has prepared us to do. Not that we might earn his favor, but because he wants to use us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. When Paul writes in verse 10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's not saying, all right, now you must do the good works that I have prepared for you in order that you maintain this relationship that we have established. So that you might stay alive and not slip back into spiritual death. No. He is instead telling us that we each have an eternally designed job description. That includes the task, the ability, 
and the place to serve. And whatever the task to which he has called you, you will be equipped for it as surely as a bird is capable of flight. And in doing the works he has called you to do, you will be both more and more his workmanship and more and more your true self. What good news we have in our passage this morning. The gospel proclaimed so clearly in this text in Ephesians. As Tim Keller once put it, here's the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. As we wrap up this morning, know that being brought back to spiritual life does not mean that we are free from the temptations of the tyrants. We are still tempted by the culture we live in. We are still deceived by the whispering of the devil at times. And we still give in to the temptations, the cravings, the desires of the old nature. For we still have that old nature. We still have that part of us that longs to sin and that war will wage within us until we die. What being brought back to spiritual life means for us is that we no longer need to fear physical death. For those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, physical death is not something to be feared. For as Paul talks about in Philippians 1, 21, for the Christian to live is Christ, but to die is gain. When the final bell tolls for us here on earth, we go to be with Jesus, which is far better than anything we can think of or imagine. As we leave here this morning, let's be encouraged by the word of God. Let us be reminded that we were once dead, but by the power and grace of our Lord, we have been brought back from the dead. And so now we no longer need to fear physical death. It has no hold or power over us. What a wonderful, amazing, and powerful God we serve. Amen.